Hello and welcome to the Thunder Buddies podcast. I am your host today, Michael Martin, and I am joined by the great Barry Trammell. Barry, how are you doing today? Well, pretty good, Michael. Thanksgiving's over, which is sad, but lots of football, lots of basketball, lots of food, so I'm now sort of coming down from that uh, holiday high. Yeah, I'm still recovering as well. What's your favorite Thanksgiving food before we get into basketball here? Oh, my favorite is a concoction called trammel pie, which doesn't mean anything to anybody. It's something my mom made, and she died about eight years ago. And I was all bummed out because I thought nobody's ever going to make that again for me or anybody else because it really wasn't a traditional pie. You know, nobody really knew how to make it. But turns out my niece learned, had learned how to make it. And now every Thanksgiving she makes me and her dad and my other brother each a trammel pie. So she came by about 10 o'clock Thursday morning with a trammel pie. So that was that was just fantastic. Awesome. Well, I'm very happy for you. Unfortunately, on a different, I guess, unhappy note, the Thunder weren't able to get a win last night as they lose to the Pelicans 105 to 101. Uh, what stood out from uh, what stood out to you in that one from the Thunder? Herbert Jones stood out to me for crying out loud. He made life miserable on SGA. Now I know Dagnold after the game said, you know, it's more team defense by the Pels, and it I'm sure it was. But you know, we've seen, I think, in the last two weeks, maybe I can't I don't I can't pinpoint the exact start, but I've seen a gradual rising frustration from SGA in that people clearly are game planning for him. They're doing all they can to to bottle him up and swarm him and make life miserable for him. You know, he's not playing with a bunch of sharpshooters where he can just get rid of the ball and somebody's gonna score and everybody's happy. So um, and I thought last night we really saw that. Uh, what was he? Seven of 21 shooting, seven turnovers. Now he was a bulldog and trying to get to the basket. So he got fouled, he got 18 foul shots, 31 points. But, you know, until this roster transforms or changes or whatever, he's going to have a lot of nights like this where, where a team with an excellent defender like a Herb Jones uh, really just uh, is committed to stopping him, and the entire team is committed to stopping him. And he's going to have to learn to deal with this kind of frustration and this kind of um, you know, barriers to easy nights. He's had so many productive and efficient games this year that it – I mean, uh, I sort of come to expect it from him, right? I mean, if he goes, if he goes uh, you know, 8 of 17, I say, what's wrong? And I'm sure in his mind, he feels like he ought to have all these, you know, 10 of 16, 12 of 21 shooting games. But NBA defenses are smart and they're talented and they're and they're cunning and they're not going to let it happen all that often. So I think this is part of the adjustment period of SGA as he as he transformed from, you know, budding star to perhaps superstar. Yeah, this is just kind of the nature of it. And this is something that you're going to have to fight off and learn to you know, play up against and double teams and stuff like that. To me, um, I'm with you where it didn't feel like it was just Herb Jones shutting him down as much as just him funneling him to the right spots. But credit to Herb Jones. He made it as tough on Shea as anyone has. You mentioned that he had 31 points. Shea now has the most 30-point games in the NBA this season at 15. Luka has 13 and Steph at 12. And he made a career-high 16 made free throws. 
kind of reminded me of a James Harden superstar game of not really hitting from the field, but still finding a way to impact the game with his scoring and aggressiveness. Oh, yeah. Um, and Thunder's lost without him. That's clearly uh, true. You know, the the one thing that concerns me, it's not just, the, you know, the shot frustration, but he's getting less, I think, careful with the ball. And that's got me, you know, the, the turnovers are starting to mount. And some of them, are, of the, wouldn't call them careless. I just say they were more, oh, just uh, emotional turnovers, perhaps. And that he just, he's letting things get to him and he's not careful with the ball and, and all, all of a sudden it's out of his grasp. So, um, but clearly he's, he's an impactful player. Still third in the NBA in scoring. Um, I don't know if he can you know, win, win the scoring title with Luca, you know, going the way he is. But um, but SGA is is uh, clearly skilled. Even last night, you know, he he got into a little. He seemed to he seemed to be continuing this trend of consciously trying to draw fouls, which I tre- I tread lightly on that because. That's James Harden Boulevard, and I hate James Harden Boulevard. I detest it. I think it should be getting out of the game. Uh, in fact, I am of the opinion that somebody that wants to be fouled cannot actually be fouled. If you want to be fouled, then what's the advantage? You wanted to be fouled. You got what you wanted. So, you know, play on. But he's he's getting very, very sharp at drawing fouls. And this, uh, you know, the this free throw... Uh, he's up there, um, not as high as, as Luca and Giannis on drawing fouls, but I think he might be the second in the, I mean, third in the league in drawing fouls. I can't remember, but his, his free throws per game are just, I think it's 9.3, just really crazy high. So I think he's, I think he's third in the league at drawing fouls. So, um, as long as he does that, the Thunder's going to get production out of him. Because even going seven out of twenty-one, you go to the line eighteen times and make you make uh, eight of them at that true shooting. Per- I mean, uh, sixteen of them, so eighty-eight uh, percent. The true shooting percentage is still going to be high. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's all good. I think it's just a case of he's going to have to learn uh, how to deal with some of this uh, this team swarming that he's facing. Yeah, and with the free throw line, you want it to be a release valve like it was last night where his offense isn't going, so he's going to it. But you don't want it to be like, as you mentioned, with James Harden Boulevard where it got to the point in Houston and Philadelphia and with Brooklyn where he was dependent on those fouls. And that's where you can get really get into some issues where not only are you just using it and abusing it, but it's like an integral part of your offense where if you don't have it, it's going to throw you off and your, uh, throw you off and your team might lose. Yeah, and one thing I, I think it'd be good for everybody to sort of monitor as we go through this season, looking for towards the future. Shea's demeanor has remained really charming. He's not been, you know, you hate watching the NBA when, when the superstars, anytime they release the ball, whether it's a made shot or not, they immediately look to the ref and go into their thespian role of uh, of uh, some sort of acting job on 
you know, declaring they were foul or wanting to know why the whistle blew or Luca's the worst. There are others. SGA hasn't done a lot of that. I've seen a little bit more creeping up in recent games. Um, you'd like for him to not be that way. You'd like for him to be just a guy that, you know, plays through it and uh, stays fairly uh, congenial with the officiating. Um, so I, that's something I'm going to keep an eye on because to me that becomes a habit and it becomes a part of your culture and, and a, your personality and who you are. And it's, uh, I don't know if it's effective. The, the psychologists slash um, metric guys that can study such things probably know the answer. But even if it is effective, it's not very fun to be a part of, even as a fan. I don't disagree. I mean, I've seen a little bit more of that from Shea. I think we saw from Mark Dagnalt in a press conference about a week ago talking about, um, I think it was off one of my questions, that you know they lead the league in drives, they lead the league in uh, paint touches, yet they're like second to last in free throw attempts. And I think it was kind of getting to those guys, and I think they were putting a little bit more pressure on the referee. You know, that doesn't warrant probably yelling at the referee and walking them like a dog like Luca does, but it's still a factor and I don't think guys would complain if it didn't work. So it's working to a degree, but speaking of a guy who just is all types of drives, Zion Williamson last night, what'd you see from him? Well, he's a marvel. <clears throat> he's a marvel. Every time you see, um, a guy that strong and that quick, it was stunning to me that he didn't score more than he did last night. Uh, what do you have, 25 points? I think it was. I can't remember. Um, 23 points. He makes 11 of 18. They only fouled him once, and it was in the last two or three minutes. Uh, so hats off to, to Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Lou Gens Dort, who the two guys that sort of drew the duty on him. Um, the, he's, a, he's a matchup nightmare for everybody. I don't know. I don't follow the Pelicans that much. I'm last night. I was trying to think who does, who in the league is equipped to to sort of match up with this guy, not to stop him, just to match up with him, so that you don't get bulldozed. Uh, maybe Giannis. Um, maybe the Sixers put Embiid on him. I don't know what people do, but the Thunder clearly doesn't have one. But but I thought Robinson Earl did a pretty good job. Robinson Earl is fairly strong, not particularly quick. So he's got problems. Uh, Dort is uniquely built. If he was only just about four inches taller, um, but they did a nice job. And here, and I credit Zion Williamson for this. He didn't jack up a bunch of threes. He uh, did he take one? He I took think one. he took oh one for one. Yeah, oh for one. So you know, on a night when he's not getting fouled, and the Thunder's doing a pretty good job uh, with him. You know, you see a lot of superstars. You say, I'm going to take the night off and sit back here and jack up four or five threes. He didn't do that, so hats off to him. He's a total load. And he carried a lot of uh, weight last night because, I mean, the Pelicans were without their, you know, their bombardiers. No no C.J. McCollum, no Brandon Ingram. Those are two big-time players, especially on the offensive perimeter. So, um, you know, I don't know how you guard the Pelicans when those two guys are out there. Um you can sort of pack it in and help people off on, on Zion, but when those two guys are out there, the, New Orleans is a total load. 
just pick your poison. No, Zion was incredible. He's just he's a freak of nature. I actually had the opportunity to see him in summer league a couple of years ago when he made his debut, and he's the only guy who I've ever seen in my life who was booed during layup lines for not dunking. And then uh, <laughs> later on, the game got canceled because there was a giant earthquake. But definitely spectacular watching him. I uh, am with you, Jerry. I thought did a good job on him. I mean, he obviously still ends up with um, 23 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. But as long as you're making those shots tough on him, you kind of just have to live with the results. But Zion, another great achievement. He um, That was his 100th game, and he is second all-time in scoring in a player's first 100 games only behind Michael Jordan. Really? Well, that's crazy. Isn't that something to think that Zion, this is his this fourth, is fourth, year. Yeah. fourth year after the draft, and he's just now playing 100 games. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's nuts. When you, you've had two shortened seasons, he missed all of one season. Um, but for crying out loud, that's not a lot of games. No, not what, at all. What, what thunder, what second year thunder? Has Trey Mann played more games? I wonder if Trey Mann has played more NBA games than, uh, oh, sorry. Who's Trey Mann? Trey Mann. No, he's played 79. Trey Mann, or 78. 78 career games. But, um, boy, that's not a lot of games. It's not a lot of games. No, it's not. I mean, Poku. What do you also... think? What do you think? My, let me ask you, Michael. Well, come on. You think he's going to see a Pelican long term? Um, think... I think so far it looks like it. I mean, you saw them win last night, and they're kind of setting him up well with guys and pieces around him. It'll come down to a little bit of how much shooting they have and things like that. But they have a nice roster. I think they're a top four seed in the West currently, and they don't even have Brandon Ingram or C.J. McCollum, and they still have a lot of picks and stuff in the chamber that they could go out and get another guy. You're right. You're right. You're exactly right. I was actually looking at the NBA standings today. I'm not sure I like a team in the West as much as I like New Orleans. I like New Orleans. I like Phoenix. Um, But, yeah, it's still super early. I mean, you have the defending champs aren't even in the playoffs right now, I don't think, in the standings. It's wild. It's pretty wide open. Yeah, it's pretty wide open. It's there for the taking if a team like the Pelicans wants to grab it or make a big-time trade. Uh, speaking of another 1,000-game guy, or 1,000-point guy, this guy did it in 124 games, but Poku reaches 1,000 points. I know that you and Poku are uh, very close to each other. You've been a big Poku guy this whole time, I say facetiously. <laughs> well, he's he's certainly growing on me. Uh, you know, old Poku, I'm going to gotta give up to him. He He's... Still playing at a high level in terms of NBA quality. And uh, if you focus on what Poku can do instead of what he can't do, he's one of those guys. Um, You know, a guy that's seven foot and skilled, you want him to be, uh, you know, a superstar in every man. Uh, I mean, good good at everything. He's not going to be that, I don't think. But this is a guy who literally – for two years, was throwing up shots that made you cringe and wince about every third time. He's now shooting 42% from three on a decent number of threes. I think he shot, I don't know, 63s or something like that. But he's clearly got a feel for the game. He's defending the rim. He can't guard Zion Williamson, but you know what? He gets in there and does... He, had, he 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 stood in there with Valanciunas last night pretty well, and to the point where 
New Orleans didn't even play Valanciunas down the stretch. So um, I don't know what Poku's going to be, but I give him the highest compliment I can give somebody in his state, which is I don't know what he's going to be, but I know he's going to be an NBA player, and I think he'll be a good NBA player. Um, he's not going to be a star, but I think he's going to be a good NBA player. I think you're right. I think he's going to be a contributor. He's not somebody who's going to be a superstar, like you said, but he is evidence of why you can't give up on a guy too early. Speaking of which, um, first time in NBA history that two NBA Academy former players went up against each other in Josh Giddy and Dyson Daniels. That was a lot of fun, two Australian guys. But I wanted to bring up that fact with Josh to talk about some of um, the grief he's been getting on Twitter and Reddit and social media and things because fans have been pretty hard on him and look like they're you know ready to give up on him in some segments of the fan base. I know that doesn't represent everybody, but it's a sizable uh, chunk to the point where I noticed it and Giddy noticed it as well as he liked a tweet where somebody said, um, our own fan base hating on Giddy is so weird. Well, it's not weird. It's just stupid. Um, I got to be careful here, but a good chunk of social media media is where idiots go to find friends. And anybody that's popping Josh Giddy is just a basketball idiot. You literally don't know what you're talking about. Um, the guy is 20 years old. Not And he's not about to turn 21. He just turned 20 last month. He's 20 years old, and he's playing uh, NBA basketball uh, and playing it pretty dang well. Now, he's got all kinds of flaws, but guys like that are hard to find. Six foot eight, six foot nine point guards who can drive and pass all over the court. I mean... He's going to be. He's going to have a. He's going to have a fascinating NBA career. I don't know if he'll be a star, but we're not in the same way that now here we're talking about Poku. You know, finally it's dawning on us. He's going to be an NBA player. I watched Josh Giddy for five minutes of an NBA game and know that guy's going to play a long time. He can play. It just takes time. It's. This is still not a league of 20-year-olds. Just because a bunch of 20-year-olds play in it, they're the sacrificial lambs. They're the guys that are led to the slaughter, but they got to wake up the next, morn next morning and come back and get slaughtered all over again. That's the way it works. And you know, I, I think back to, to Russell Westbrook's second year in the NBA. The Thunder, actually, that was the breakout year when they got pretty good. But people were dishing on Russ the whole time. So now he's not a point guard. He can't do this. He can't do that. He's a mess. Well, yeah, he's a mess, but he was also an unbelievable talent who could play basketball at a high level. So uh, in addition to Giddy's just natural, what do you want to call it, uh, learning curve, he's, he's also having to do this adjustment that would be difficult for a 31-year-old all-star. If you made a, I don't. Let's pick a. Let's pick a. Who's a thirty-one, a thirty-year-old point guard? I don't know. Who's, Damian who's Lillard. Damian Lillard. Drew Holiday. Anybody on that? If you put him on a team and said, "Oh, you're going to play with SGA," and he's going to initiate a lot of the offense, that'd be a massive adjustment for 
for those guys. And so Giddy's learning how ha, he's having to learn how to play off the ball a bunch. For crying out loud, he's you know he's barely learning how to play on the ball. He's twenty years old. We got got guys in the NBA who have played twenty years in the NBA. So the the adjustment with SGA is a huge. Um, that's a that's a huge um, oh morass that he's got to work himself through. It's you know and it, it, it's like a uh, getting through one of those what are they, those escape rooms which I've never been in but I've heard about. You know he's got it. He, he, this is part of one of the clues he's got to get through so we can get to the next level. It's just learning how to play with another point guard. The Thunder's. You know, trying to make this work, and there's no reason why it can't. They've made it work with three point guards before. But Giddy's going to be fine. Um, I His his three-point shooting is, is a concern. Heck, yeah. But um, he's not shooting. I don't – let's see. Is he shooting as many as he did last year? I don't know. Let's see. I think it's roughly, uh, roughly about the same. Yeah. I said, well, uh, per game, it's a little bit down. Per thirty-six minutes, uh, it's 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 down. So he's taken fewer uh, than he did last year. Uh, his percentage is about the same, and it's got to go up, no doubt about that. Yeah, but, I agree. Uh, I, I'm not worried about him. In fact, here, you know what I worry more about Giddy is something nobody ever talks about. I still think his his defense is what worries me more than anything long term. Mm-hmm. No, I, I can see that. He's not a very athletic guy. He's not right. super bouncy. But at least with him compared to a guy like Trey Young, he has a chance to defend because at least he has some length and some size to him. You can hide Josh Giddy on somebody. That's not to say that he won't get played off the floor at some point, but I think that he more than likely will be just a league average defender, which is good enough if you can produce what he can offensively. Yeah, and I assume the Thunder's just scraping the surface. Of the, oh, of the tricks and the magic that they can conjure up, that Mark Dagnall and staff can figure out when you have two players like SGA and Giddy who are so different, um, but both so skilled in different ways. So, I mean, I think they're just learning to play together, and at some point you're going to be able to put together a game plan that does all kinds of cool stuff. No, so, for sure. And then um, yeah, you I'm, talked about Poku for a little bit. The same thing can be said here. I saw somebody on Twitter say, if you're ready, if you're praising Poku and at the same time ready to give up on Josh Giddy, you need to think about your thought process for a second. <laughs> and that's yeah, true. Well, that's, ex- well, it's exactly right. That's I mean, exactly right. He's only 20 years old. At 20 years old, do you know where Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, and Steph Curry were? They were all still in college at that age. You know, you got to give him yeah, time. Steph Curry, yeah, Steph Curry was playing Wofford. Exactly. You got to give him time. You can't really compare him to Shea, and I wouldn't compare him, but you just look at the leap that Shea's taken since his first year in Oklahoma City to now. Just like there's so much time that has to go by. These guys don't hit their prime until they're around 27. He's only 20. So we are way far away from that. You know, he's fifth in guard shooting percentage at the rim this season at 63%. He only trails Luka, Jalen Brown, Shea, and Anthony Edwards. He's actually ahead of Ja Morant. But it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I know that there are some people who are kind of irritated because his shooting hasn't gone up. But we talked about that, Joe and I, before last week about 
shooting progress is not just linear where you just add chip england you can just add on five percent uh upgrade and three-point shooting it's going to be a process yeah and uh, let me ask you michael it seems like in the last four or five games giddy has been more determined on his drives it looks like he's going to the bucket more um he he's really good at angles at the bucket um you know sometimes he can you know he'll do one of those uh, spin type things and fall short and but when he just goes to the bucket and, and puts the ball up, he's really good at knowing how to how to get the ball on the rim in the right uh, on the backboard in the right place. So I'm very I'm encouraged by Josh Giddy. I'm not discouraged. I'm encouraged. Yeah, he's got great touch and he's finally using some of that physicality in the big frame he has. And then the elephant in the room that we haven't mentioned yet is Chet Holmgren is not on this team yet. And he fixes a lot of these issues like spacing on offense, which they need more spacing between Gideon Shea and then defensively having more of a backbone and having somebody on that back line. So anyone who wants to make these rash judgments before Chet gets back, I think is kind of insane. Well, yeah, and you just used a word that is the anti-thunder word, which is rash. <laughs> they're not doing anything quickly. They're not, they're not going to scrap out of a plan after a half year or two years. Um, I think they like Giddy a lot. I still, I think they still don't know exactly what they have, but that's part of the process. That's why, that's why you see the Thunder doing what they're doing with the lineup. I mean, I never know what's going to happen. Uh, Aaron Wiggins, uh, you know, starts half the time and doesn't play half the time. Um, but that's just part of it with, Getting guys, you know, trying to figure out what you've got. This is a, this is an experimental stage of Thunder history. Um, don't, don't get wrapped up in, you know, a four-point loss at, at New Orleans on a Monday night in, in late November. It's irrelevant to the long-term plan. Exactly, and we talked about earlier where Zion just played in his 100th game. Josh Giddy, that was his 71st game last night. He hasn't even played a full 82 yet. But as you mentioned earlier, just how hard it is for him to adjust, they played the entire preseason without Shea, where he handled the ball the entire time. Then game one, Shea comes back, which is great, against Minnesota. And then a couple of games later, Giddy gets injured and then comes back to Shea having some superstar ascension where they've gone back and forth. Where you remember late in the spring last year where they go, uh, we're going to give the ball to Giddy and Shea said, you know, that's not my plan A, but I understand it and I'm willing to try to now they have swapped all the way back to now where Shea is the guy handling the ball. And it's just been a lot of changes for a guy in his second year who's only 20. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, if you call up basketball reference and look up Josh Giddy's position, he's listed as a shooting guard. He's the farthest thing from a shooting guard. He's more of a, he's more of a power forward than he is a shooting guard. Um, but because of the nature of this roster, he's sort of got to, you know, adjust. Um, so it is a lot to handle for a guy. You know, he's he's been in America 16 months, 17 months. As you said, he hasn't played 100 NBA games. All kinds of changes going on. Yeah, I, Josh Giddy is not. He's a, 
he's a long way, and I mean years and years, from us knowing what he's going to do or what he's capable of. And that's why, okay, this this is off the rails, but that's why teams draft 20-year-olds. That's why they don't draft 23-year-olds very often because they know what they're getting. Brandon Clark in Memphis, good player, but he's the player the day he walked on campus at Memphis. He's the same same player now. He's not going to get appreciably better. Somebody like Josh Giddy is. So you just don't know. You don't know what he's going to be, but you know he's going to be something. Yeah, he's got a long runway, that's for sure. And there are other guys around him in that draft category. You look back at his draft, I think he'd go six in a redraft, Barry. I mean, the only guy you can say who went behind him who would go ahead of him now is Franz Wagner, who's been great. But that's a lot of revisionist history because he has way overperformed and beaten expectations. And then Jonathan Kaminga was drafted right after him. I don't think the Thunder would trade Giddy for Kaminga straight up. But it's been a lot of changes and kind of... Um, the victim of his own success because he is playing better. But there were times last year where people were questioning if he was even going to be an NBA player when he got injured um, in summer league and then came back kind of slow in the preseason. But he proved to be an NBA player like you're talking about. He's going to play for a lot of years. So it's just weird to see the expectations and, um, I don't know, standards for him kind of swing back and forth. Yeah. You know, sometimes we get caught... I mean, I know field goal percentage is really the most fundamental uh, statistic in basketball, whether it's three-point or not three-point. It's it's a huge thing. But this, do people not go back and, and look at Giddy's, some of Giddy's numbers? I mean, against the Bulls the other night, 11, 13, and 9 is triple-double line. 11, 13, and 9. He has, he has uh, games with, you know, 15 assists, 10 rebounds uh, against Milwaukee. I think it's Milwaukee. He's he's just got these massive. He's, he's got these massive uh, production in in areas that matter. So he can clearly do it. He's in some ways, he's like a he's like a Mustang. You're just trying to figure out, you know, what he what he can do, but you know he can do something. Because there's things he do he does at a high level. So, um, and I think he's a blast to watch. Um, I wonder about his frustration level, though, for this reason. The one thing, if you think about it, I haven't seen a ton of. I saw one glimpse yesterday. Yesterday he made a nice. It wasn't a no look pass, but it was sort of an unorthodox pass, unorthodox pass to Santa Clara Williams in the paint, in a in sort of a scramble mode. But we're not seeing a ton of the really cool passes that we saw a lot last year. And I wonder if that's just a product of him not having the ball near as much as he had a year ago. I think it's some of him not having the ball. I think some of it is the scout is out on him. Some of it changes the fact that they still don't have a traditional center. Like As much as he wasn't a great player, Derek Favors was great next to Josh Giddey because he could just be a guy who rolled to the rim. But it's been it's been weird for Giddy and people who are it's like, well, why isn't he playing the way he was last year? It's like, well, he's playing next to Shea where he doesn't get to be the prime ball handler and facilitator all the time and he doesn't have all the shooting around him. But to me, evaluating Giddy at this point is like trying to evaluate a quarterback without an offensive line or receivers. It's yeah, just it's just you know, just too I mean, early. I'm, 
and it's way too early. <clears throat> and I got a question. I, I mean, I, when you go through his game log, let's see, two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago Sunday, so we're 16 days ago, he went to Madison Square Garden, had 24 points, 10 rebounds, 12 assists, and missed four shots. And people are dogging the guy in, at 20 years old. I mean, he clearly can play basketball at a very, very high level. So, um, yeah, I think I think he's one of the. I think he's one of the things to be excited about. I get not one of the things was, to be discouraged about. I get there would be more concern if they didn't get Chet in this last draft, and you're going, well, how good can the team be if Giddy's our second best player? But the reality is, is he's not going to be better than the third or the fourth best player in this next iteration of the Thunder. Uh, because I think that Chet and Shea are going to be better than him. And having a guy who can just get assists and be a connector and get rebounds and score in limited fashion but doesn't need a bunch of shots, I think is very valuable to a team who's trying to win in the future. Yeah, it, I think what you're saying is he's not likely to be a star, is what you're saying. I would say that I think that if you had and to, I would, I would sort, you know, and I would, you're probably right, but I'm not going to say it unequivocally. I mean, I think he, I think he's, his upside is vast. I really think that now his downside is he's got, he's got a, he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a high floor just because of that shooting. I mean, if he was a 36% three point shooter, he'd be, he'd be one of the best young players in the, in the NBA. So there are limitations right now, but, um, and you know, shooting's one of those things that people don't get way better at. I don't think he's never going to be, he's never going to be a 40% shooter, but he does so many things well. And he's so productive that even if he doesn't develop the way people want him to, it's what you said. He's going to be a really good player. Uh, he, and he could be a really good player on a good team. You uh, talked about a little bit just the different guys. What's the likelihood of getting a star at six or something like that? I actually have the stats going back to 2010 of the number six overall picks. And if you look at this, Giddy's actually, you know, I would say a pretty pleasant surprise here. So Benedict Matherin was this year. Josh Giddy last year. Onyeka Okongwu in 2020. 2019 Jarrett Culver. He's out of the league. 2018 Mo Bamba. 2017, Jonathan Isaac, he hasn't played. He uh, Vince Carter has played in the game more recently than um, Jonathan <laughs> Isaac. Well, yeah, I mean, it's we think of the first round, the you know, the teens, the Poku range, 17, 18. Well, the uh, we think of that range as the guys who you know you try to strike it, strike it rich in the draft, but hey, it. Outside of one, two, or three, maybe it's you're just looking for good ball players. Um, that's why it was so valuable, and you know Sam Presti can supply you with this data all day long. So valuable to get the number two pick in 2022, Holmgren. Um, he still could be a bust, absolutely, but the chances of getting a superstar at number two are exponentially higher than getting a superstar at number six. There's exactly. no any question about that. And then to keep None going, 2016, Buddy Heald, not a superstar, solid player, though. 2015, Willie Cauley-Stein, out of the league. 2014, Marcus Smart, that's a nice player. 
2013, Nor- uh, Nerland's Noel. That's a bench player. 2012 is the one superstar with Damian Lillard. 2011 is Jan Vesely from Washington. Not a good player. And then <laughs> a check. 20- 2010, Epke Udo out of Baylor. Well, yeah, and uh, an Edmund Santa Fe man, as it were. <clears throat> but I think you mentioned a guy, Marcus Smart. Marcus Martin and Josh Giddy have very little in common um, in terms of style of play and backgrounds and all that kind of stuff. But Marcus Smart is a winning ball player. And there's an organization, one of the most rock solid in the NBA historically and one of the in, most rock solid in the NBA now, and that's the Boston Celtics. They've got zero interest and playing basketball games without Marcus Smart. He's been helping them win for a long time. And that's that's the kind of player that Josh Giddy could be. Now, he's not going to be a shutdown defender. He's not going to be NBA Defensive Player of the Year. But he's a guy that can score and a guy that can rebound and a guy that can facilitate. Um, that's, that's a winning ball player. So... I like, uh, you know, I like everything about Josh Giddy in terms of his future. I think whether it's going to be at the Thunder, I don't claim to make, know who's going to stay here five years, eight years. I don't make those predictions anymore. Things change so much. But I can tell you this. Somewhere five years from now, Josh Giddy's going to be a really good NBA player. Yeah, but if Marcus Smart, um, you know, he's on those teams, he's – the third or fourth best guy behind Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. If Josh Giddy can be that for this team and be a facilitator and be a connector for those guys, I think that is exactly what you want out of the number six overall pick. And that's definitely not a disappointment going forward. No. If you can have a guy like Heck that. No. I'm with you. And the, I, I would say that Josh Giddy is not a disappointment right now. He's had five triple doubles for crying out loud. He's had five. I mean, I'm, I I remember the time when triple-double was a big deal. This guy's had five, and how many games did you say he's played? Uh, 72. 82. 70. He's had, he has one every 15 games. Every 15 games, Josh Giddy has a triple-double, and people are saying, ah, the guy's a bum. Well, that's nonsense. That's just nonsense. Youngest triple-double in NBA history going back last year, actually, that people forget about. He got that against the Mavs, too. But I know I, yeah. I just I understand it's hard to be patient and preaching patience is not something that people want to hear. But you gotta wait a little bit longer for a guy like this who's only in his second year. He can't even legally drink in the state in the states, Barry. Yeah, he's um, he's he's a keeper. Let's just put it that way. There's, he's a keeper, and it's up to Dagnalt and staff to figure out what to do with him. And I think they're doing a pretty good job with it. Look at it this look at it this way. I mean, if nothing else, at worst, worst case scenario for Josh Giddy, he's the best and most unique backup point guard in the NBA four years from now. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, think of, you, you know, you got SGA out there doing whatever he's doing, going crazy, and, you know, and all of a sudden they bring in this six foot nine guy that does all these things you don't see other people doing. And you're saying, now we got to deal with this for eight minutes. What do, what do we do? So, and that's worst case scenario. That's if it doesn't mesh with SGA 
That's if they get other talent at on the wing that guys that can shoot and all that kind of stuff. That's worst case. So, yeah, I'm 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 on team Giddy. I agree. Now, we got to at least wait. Okay, for I got one last thing to say. I got I got one last thing to say about it though. Okay. I am an impeachable witness because I generally love all things Australian. So, uh, in the name of full disclosure, I am uh, I'm on team Aussie. Some degree of bias, but nothing crazy. I think that's a, the right amount that you can have. But, yeah, uh, I don't know. You I can't... hope you go to Australia. You ever been to Australia, I Michael? have not. I'd love to go. I would love to go, too. I can't think of anything cooler than just driving through the Australian outback. See if we can make a story happen. You and I go cover Josh Giddy over the summer. That would be cool. That would be cool. Yep, but I would say you got to wait at least for Chet to get back before you even start thinking about the idea of giving up on Josh Giddy or anything like that. I think fans need to remember how powerful their voice is. I mean, you mentioned that it's just a small part of Twitter that's kind of the crazy part that just wants to hear their own thoughts. But outside, I don't think you know he's going to be a bust. He's going to last in the league for a long time. The only thing that could derail that is something like a devastating injury, which we don't want, or an off-the-court problem. Or the third thing is a confidence issue, which you've seen fans get to guys like Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons and Lonzo Ball. And I'm not saying that Giddy is any of those guys, but be patient with him. That's not to say blow up, uh, smoke up his butt and just give him whatever credit, even if he doesn't deserve it. But just be patient with him and let's uh, see what else is going to happen. He's only, he hasn't even played 100 games yet. Let's not critique him like he's been playing in the NBA Finals and playing actual games of consequence. We've got to give him some room to grow here. Now, I will say this. Um, the fans, the kooky fans, the social media criticism, if that affects Josh Giddy, that's on Josh Giddy. Um, I like my NBA players smart enough to stay off of social media. Now, I know hardly any of them do. But if if that if that happens... And that affects him. That's on him. Because there's an easy way, you know, the, the idiots are not picketing outside his front door. They're not walking up and down his street in Gallardia or wherever the heck he lives. I don't know where he lives. But wherever he lives, you know, they're not, they're not egging his house. Not, you know, they're not ringing his doorbell in the middle of the night and running away. They're just getting on social media and talking nonsense. So just stay point. away from just stay away from that, Josh. Get away from that. Don't pay attention to it. Um, you know, if you if you need to if you need to keep up with what's going on, there's lots of places you can do that. And uh, the Oklahoman is one of those. There's there's other NBA outlets that cover the league. If you want to know what's going on, the fans in the stands. You play 41 home games. They're going to tell you what they think. You don't need any more reassurance from the fans than that so just stay away from that crowd stay away from that crowd that's a good point yeah because i haven't heard any hate or really um down on his abilities from the crowd or at games it's been mostly social media things but like you said just that's one of the things you got to turn off but what i really liked what you mentioned is the great coverage at the oklahoma and do you have anything to plug before we get out of here that you're working on whether it's ou football related osu or the thunder oh i'm you know it's college football season um it's college football season and uh, lots of coaching changes and all that. So it'll be all kinds of that in the playoff. But I'm still uh, – I'm about to hit the Thunder, you know, more full-time in terms of regular 
projects and things. And um, I got I got a few things that still I think I mentioned to you. I, I can't remember if I did, but you know, one of the things I mentioned to you is I'm intrigued by when do we know when do we know that the uh, that the tanking not their word our word the tanking is over do we judge it by the roster by the standings or by the eye test so that's something i'm going to take a deep dive into soon a couple of other things i uh am really uh intrigued by is sam presti's idea and he's not the only one but can't take shortcuts can't take shortcuts but how do you balance that in a league where everything changes so quickly look at these dang standings I mean, just look at the look at the fate of the Portland Trailblazers or the uh, the Lakers or all these teams that we thought were going one way. They pivoted. All of a sudden, they're going another way, and it happened in a flash. Uh, the Nets, the Warriors, um, things change quickly in this league. And how do you balance that with a team that's on the long play? And I'm I'm intrigued by that. Uh, and last, and this is this would be a good subject for us the next time we chat. The 76ers are the most famous tanking team in NBA annals. The process. Did the 76ers during those lean years find some ball players? And I don't mean with the lottery picks. I mean, just through the process of having to play games, did they find some ball players? And the answer is yes. And the Robert Covington is exhibit A. Has the Thunder done that? And how can the Thunder do even more of that to help the building process in an unsexy way, a non-spotlight uh, way? So those are the, some of the things I'm going to take a swing at here in the next few weeks. You got me excited, Barry, to read something that hasn't even been written yet. That's, that's how you do We're a good. sales pitch right there. But I'm very excited. We'll talk about the process for sure at some point and bring you on to talk about some of those articles. I'm really looking forward to that. But I just wanted to say thanks so much again for coming on. It's been a lot of fun as always. And thanks again to all of you listening to the Thunder Buddies podcast. Remember to rate us five stars on Apple and Spotify podcast. Tell your friends about us. We are brought to you by The Oklahoman, and we will be back on Friday. Thank you so much for listening.